Coming up on Life is a Festival. So with sitting and not guiding, you are really focusing on tuning in and listening, right? That's part of the creating space is listening, not interjecting, not putting too much of your own stuff in there. So um, when you're sitting for someone, you know, it doesn't actually mean that you're just sitting there doing nothing. It, it, it Sitting actually takes a lot of work. For anyone who has mm. a meditation mm-hmm. practice, <laughs> you know that just being with yourself for five minutes even sometimes can be challenging, right? So this sitting and not guiding is you're listening, you're taking it in, you're really listening from the heart, right? There's ways of listening. Uh, You can listen waiting for what's the thing that I'm going to respond to, right? Versus just really taking in what they're saying, even if you don't understand it, even if they're in such a far out place that what they're saying, you know, makes no sense to you because you're not in that kind of far out place with them, right? My name is Eamon Armstrong. And this is Life is a Festival. This podcast is a celebration of thinkers and leaders who live their lives with the open-hearted, experimental joy of a festival. Each week, we converse in complete openness, in an ongoing quest to find those boundaries in our being and melt them into lofty horizons. Life is a festival, only to the wise. Have you ever been around someone who is having a difficult psychedelic experience? It could be a friend, could be some stranger at a festival or another event, but someone who is just looping and stuck and struggling, what do you do? You know, our instincts when we are around someone who's having a tough time is typically to try to fix it. And with a psychedelic experience, we ourselves can feel incredibly uncomfortable being around that kind of discomfort. And some of the common wisdom around so-called bad trips and talking people down is actually, turns out, not that helpful. Today on the show, I'm talking to Sarah Gale. Sarah Gale is the director of the Zendo Project, which is part of the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. What the Zendo Project does is it creates a safe space for psychedelic peer support at festivals and other gatherings around the world. The Zendo Project has four principles, and these guide what it means to trip sit someone having a difficult psychedelic experience. And the sitting part is actually key. So the four principles are... One, create a safe space, which the Zendo does at festivals, and which actually you can do, and you yourself can be a container for someone else's difficult experience. Number two, sitting, not guiding. And on the show, we also talk about the differences between psychedelic therapy and trip sitting. Number three, talk through, not down. And number four, difficult is not the same as bad. So on the show, we go really deep into each one of these principles, and we also talk about the state of the psychedelic renaissance and the place that the Zendo Project holds in the ongoing psychedelic conversation. Sarah is a brilliant woman. She's a transpersonal therapist, um, and she's been working with MAPS since 2012, coordinating their psychedelic harm reduction program with the Zendo Project. She's also been a therapist for MAPS clinical trials of MDMA-assisted therapy and has worked for two years as a cadmine-assisted psychotherapist at the Boulder Integrative Psychiatric Healing Center. Sarah is 
been a friend for a long time. We met in Costa Rica when I went to Envision to learn about the Zendo Project and to write an article called I did psychedelic first aid at a festival in Costa Rica, which was published by Fest 300 in 2015. So we've been friends for a long time, and it's a real honor to finally have her on the show and to talk about what it is that we should do to help someone through a difficult psychedelic experience. So without further ado, here is Sarah. Alexa, light purple oh wow that's fancy we are living in the future (laughs) a uh pretty psychedelic future it turns out i didn't think we'd be living in a future that was this psychedelic i feel like psychedelics are not mainstream but we're certainly not afraid to talk about them we're not you know things have changed radically in the past decade Mm. So here we are with a purple light. Sarah, it's so nice to see you. So good to see you, Eamon. And we met in 2015 when I volunteered with the Zendo Project in Costa Rica at Envision. Yes. Was that 2015? It was indeed. Yeah. And now we're in 2020. Now we're five years ago. Around this time. Yeah. My first time volunteering with the Zendo Project. Mm. And we're here today to talk about the Zendo Project and psychedelic first aid and helping out people having a difficult experience, which is is very impactful in my life. So I'm excited to share my own experiences and hear all of your wisdom over the course of our potential two hours today. We'll see how much time we use. So. Wow. Looking forward to it. So... I usually start every podcast with a, for some reason, a sports analogy, which doesn't really make any sense because I don't play any sports. But what would a home run podcast look like for you? Mm, A home run podcast for me would look like being able to have a conversation around healing and psychedelics and also bring in some of the more transpersonal or spiritual elements of this work and to be able to give a sense for people who haven't experienced psychedelic peer support either by giving it and offering it or by experiencing it themselves to give people a sense of why it's important why I believe that it's important I think that yeah, that would be meaningful for me to be able to to convey the importance of this work and how it's impacted my life and how I've seen it impact other people's lives. And it's an interesting time, as we were just discussing, because psychedelic therapy itself is starting to become a real modality in the world. I mean, ketamine-assisted therapy is actually happening. In fact, you've been involved in ketamine-assisted therapy. And there's a big difference between trip-sitting, the Zendo, psychedelic first aid. Is psychedelic first aid a correct term? I use it all the time, but I don't know if it's the best one. I like it. I tend to use psychedelic peer support Mm. and psychedelic harm reduction slash risk reduction. Uh, It depends on the context. But uh, for the purposes of the Zendo, I like to use psychedelic peer support. I like peer support, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But there's a big difference between what people are imagining when they think of psychedelic-assisted therapy versus psychedelic peer support. And when I first had this desire to come and sit with the Zendo and support, I had this vision in my mind of like this groovy psychedelic therapist. And I was going to be with this distraught person, giving them all of the answers and helping them cross the torrents of their awful experience with all of my wisdom. And when I showed up for my Zendo training, I realized that it's a totally different ballgame. And so I was wondering maybe just to start to kind of locate our audience, what is the difference between psychedelic-assisted therapy with a professional therapist or trained uh, practitioner versus psychedelic peer support, i.e. trip sitting? (laughs) I love that. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) There's similarities and there's differences. Yeah. And as a therapist working in the clinical work, doing the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy work and um, working in a clinic using ketamine for depression, and then working in harm reduction and peer support, I feel like, yeah, I've had the unique opportunity to experience both very closely and intimately and to really see the differences and the similarities. And I think that there's a lot that both can learn from each other. Essentially, peer support is not therapy. It's not mental health support. It is teaching people, humans, how to be present and to be authentic in the face of distress, someone who might be in distress or someone who might be having a challenge, challenging experience, or someone who might be having a really good experience, but those around them might be challenged by their experience, right? So Zendo works with both ends of that spectrum. You can call heaven states and hell states or God states. and <laughs> So what I've seen with peer support is that it is possible with the right training and the right container and community to help individuals from all different experiences and backgrounds to help them learn some basic, I don't want to say basic because that makes it sound easy, some simple skills to be able to sit with someone. So this idea of sitting with someone, I like how it is. it, it brings in the sense of meditation. And I like how the Zendo Project name um, resonates with that same sense. And the Zendo Project, our yurt, the place where we do our work at Burning Man, we, that was donated to us by Zen by practicing Buddhists who were offering their work on Playa. And they actually had the space open at times for meditation, silent meditation. So people would come in and use the space and silently meditate with a monk who was sitting there. And I really, I think it's really beautiful that that's where this work came from, or that's where uh, this version, this rendition of this work came from because I see sitting as a meditation and so it's 
it's a lot, it's, there's some, there's learning and then there's unlearning, right? And there's a lot of things I believe that block us from being in connection to humans, especially in their pain. And some of that has to do with our own shadow, our own pain, inability to sit with our own discomfort. So a lot of the Zenda Project training in peer support is teaching people how to be present with not just the discomfort of another person, but also their own discomfort that might arise, whether that's fear, anxiety, or a sense of, I don't know what to do, or I'm not the all-knowing, all-wise <laughs> therapist that I that I thought I was, which I think is a great crossover into therapy because actually psychedelic therapy and therapy in general, good therapy, there's a lot of different types of therapy out there, should be about having that beginner's mind, having that openness, letting go of your agenda, letting go of the things that you know or you think you know and being really present when they've done studies and looking at different types of therapy what they've found is that across all of the different modalities, the thing that makes the most difference is the attunement, the client-therapist relationship. So there's where peer support starts to kind of weave. You start to see how it can kind of weave into therapy, where there are some similarities. And it's specifically in psychedelic therapy, because with psychedelic therapy and with peer support, you're really you're really trusting the inner guide or the inner healer of the individual as well as yourself and um, trusting that inner healer and the process and trusting the process that the person is in, which is a similarity between the two. And peer support is much less intervention heavy. It's very, it's much more simple. It's much less analyzing the process of someone you know, much less analytical. And yeah, those are some main kind of main similarities and differences. But they have a lot to learn from each other. And as MAPS has developed the... Psych- and MAPS mm-hmm. is the Multidisciplinary yeah. Association of Psychedelic Studies. Yeah, and that is the organization that Zendo Project is under. So we are a program of MAPS. And... As, as MAPS has done these, has done the research into MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD, a lot, of the, a lot of the people who are now therapists in phase three trials, many of them volunteered with the Zendo project to get experience just sitting with people prior to phase three, the clinical trials that are happening right now. And so the Zendo project can also be a, a training ground in, in ways and to sit and be with others. So I agree, there's, there's differences and there's similarities. And one of the big differences in our work is that when someone is having a mental health, um, when something's coming up, there's a mental health issue that needs to be addressed. There is, it's not just the psychedelic, but there's something really deeper that needs to be processed and worked with that those people we help those people find appropriate resources for those that more deeper ongoing work. If it's a mental health crisis, then we we triage. We we have other departments and organizations that we work with to and therapists that we refer people out to or to get more ongoing support. So that's one big difference. My first experience sitting in the Zendo was radical for me, in part because of what you're describing, which is the understanding that you are holding space for the inner healer. 
and that as a sitter, your your job is to model a calm, to model an openness, a hopefulness, but not to intervene. And for me at that time, and we've we've had we've discussed this before, it had a lot to do with how I understood my parents and how I understand gender because of how I understand my parents. Whereas the my father and my understanding of the masculine responds to conflict and problems with a fix-it mentality. A sort of like, well, let me just take this from you. I'm going to fix it. And then it'll be fixed. And that's the problem solved. Whereas my mother and my understanding, therefore, of the feminine was very much, well, let me just hold you while your process unravels. I'm just gonna be here with you. And so for me, my first experience sitting with the Zendo was a radical experience of letting things be as they were, trusting them to unfold as they needed to, and understanding that my place was of deep importance, but it was not in any, it was not in control of the experience in any way. There was no way to intervene. There was no way to, to, to take away that discomfort. I had to sit with their discomfort and in a sense share it with them by not trying to fix it. And to me, that was one of the most profound lessons that I experienced as a sitter for the Zendo Project. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, that's feedback that we've, thank you for sharing that story and that's feedback that we have gotten and received from a lot of our volunteers and it's interesting you know bringing gender into the conversation and I like to and this is where I kind of so I'm a transpersonally oriented therapist and I like to think of things in the in the way of archetypes um, of these archetypes of the masculine and archetypes of the feminine and that those exist in nature all around us and they exist within each of us regardless of how we identify in our gender. And there is, when we talk about feminine energy, there is a quality of receptivity and receiving, allowing, listening. These are all, I mean, if you, if you just think on kind of our basic makeup, right? It's just like there's a, a receptivity and both are necessary that sometimes in the Zendo, you need to fix it. You need to, there's something that you actually do need to fix, right? Somebody's having a medical emergency. They need to be transported. They need to go to medical. Somebody's having a mental health emergency. They need to go to the crisis intervention team. Uh, there's a security issue. Someone is um, being violent. Someone's actually committed a crime while on psychedelics. Unfortunately, that happens, <laughs> right? So things so we work with all these different departments. And um, so there is that place for, for both, right? And what you're speaking to of the just allowing, I think can be really hard because of this, you know, the, because of this patriarchal system that we all are a part of, we are, there. there is this instinct, I think, regardless of gender identity to want to fix it, to want to make it better. And I think an extreme version of that you see in the mental health system, which is just get rid of it, right? Just take the, the drugs and take the pharmaceuticals. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that those, those don't have a place in the world. There's, uh, there is a place for those things. But the MO in the mental health system is fix it, you know, get the person in, get them out. It's a very efficient model 
um, medical system as well, right? Palliative care or uh, preventative care, things like that are not the, f- yeah, the focus of the, the medical system and the mental health system, which are very much intertwined and related is how quickly can we get this person back to a baseline so that we can efficiently get them back out there and doing their job and contributing to uh, society and getting, you know, getting their widgets uh, fixed and, <laughs> and 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 it's the and the mess is so fertile you know and when we when when we are relying on medication to bring us to an even keel there's absolutely instances where we need that but there's it can be so limiting i think my understanding of psychedelic modalities is that it is less about altering the brain and bringing in something foreign or unnatural. And it's more about releasing this default mode network and these sort of typical patterns of the brain and allowing the brain to experience new things and to have regions connect and communicate in ways that they hadn't before and opening up new possibilities. And so that there's some mess in that, you know, and, and I think it's, it, it's correct to say that many difficult psychedelic experiences happen for people in their first experience is that an accurate is it accurate that a lot of those a lot of times when people have a difficult experience it's the first one you know it's interesting it it varies i'd say that it's it's safe to say that for someone's first psychedelic experience especially in a festival environment or a recreational environment where the variables are really unknown and vast that the likelihood of having a challenging experience, you know, could be increased. And and we do see a lot of people who are first time, it's their first time. Yeah. We don't have exact statistics on that, but I think that that's a, that's a safe, like a as a safe, maybe. (laughs) And, And the reason that I think that that happens is because what I think is happening and you can tell me what medically your understanding of this is, is that often a difficult psychedelic experience. So let's talk about what a difficult psychedelic experience is. What I believe it is, is something is inside you that needs to come out and needs to be worked through. And that you've kind of psychologically held it in the place where it is away from you. It's sort of this an exiled part of yourself or some trauma that's kind of stuffed away. And because the psychedelic experience kind of breaks you out of your default patterning, whatever it is that you've been not wanting to look at will kind of bubble up to the surface and then you'll have to look at it. And then that's often what someone experiences as a difficult psychedelic experience where they're ruminating on something that they don't want to look at and they just can't stuff it back in and it has to kind of bubble its way out. I'm sure that that's certainly not everyone's experience having difficulty on psychedelics, but I think that that's often what is occurring when people have a so-called bad trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great way of describing it. I would add to that, you, you touched it on trauma, which is really important. And when we think about trauma, sometimes we think about, you know, PTSD. And, and that is there is certainly a percentage of the population that is diagnosed or has PTSD. But we all have trauma. We all have. I, I, I believe that we come into this world. And I mean, there's, there's therapists who specialize in birth trauma that really believe that just being born into this you know, reality is traumatic. And then we all have our own journeys. So yes, I I think that your description of it is, is really accurate. And another word that I would use to describe that is the, the subconscious or the shadow, um, more of a Jungian term too, that is like the shadow is the things that we've 
repressed or the unconscious is the things that we've repressed and hidden that society has or family or has told us are not okay. Those things are bad. And to keep in mind, those, those can be objectively negative or positive things. I say objectively because the world's not so black and white. So for instance, you know, you could have been really good in school and um, gotten straight A's, but had a parent who wasn't confident in their own intelligence. And so they berated you and called you names for, you know, so you downplayed your intelligence, right? So, so those things that can be hidden can be things that are uncomfortable for us to own. And they're not always what we might call like, quote, negative. And that's, there's a term for that called in Jungian work called like the golden shadow, like those Ooh, I've never heard of the yeah. golden shadow. Yeah. Oh, I think I have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> and also, you know, there's there's also this belief within certain modalities of psychology that the that our gifts are created, our our gifts are contained in those wounds. And, mm, and yeah, so, in the in the mm, cave we fear lies the treasure we yes, seek. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. is that, that's Joseph Campbell, I think. Mm-hmm. I think I believe so. Yeah. Maybe we can go back to the question of the home run. What is your love letter to the Zendo project in this moment? Dear Zendo project. (laughs) You are beautiful. Thank you for supporting so many people, including myself in navigating the messiness and Mm. the complexity of the human experience and for helping us build a community around service and love and unconditional love and acceptance and helping us to create a model for vulnerability Mm. and transparency Mm and sharing and opening up and sharing these these things that have been hidden that we have been you know boxed in and told are not okay and to be able to to bring those things to the to the light in order to alchemize them and transmute them in a time where that's really needed on the planet yeah yeah, and that's so much the wisdom of psychedelics themselves. You know, I, I personally feel that that psychedelic medicines, particularly plant medicines, um, and their indigenous wisdom holders and these lineages, are part of a potential threshold for humanity. You know, we might not make it as a species. We are we are really playing a risky game here with what we do to our environment. But if there's one technology that will reveal our shadow to ourselves. I feel like it's got to be psychedelics. You know, I feel like that's sitting in an ayahuasca ceremony or, you know, taking mushrooms in the forest with your friends. Would that every world leader had that experience and could have plants speak to them in the way that we experience. And a lot of those people would probably have some difficult psychedelic experiences. (laughs) Yes, I would imagine so. Yeah. And, And hopefully that if that were the case, that someone would be there to support them. Well, let's talk about how you support someone who's having a difficult psychedelic experience. So for someone who maybe they've had a couple of their own experiences, maybe not, but at the very least, they have friends, they go to festivals. If you were to see someone who is very clearly distraught in a difficult 
psychedelic space. What what should somebody do? Yeah, so I'm going to put a plug here that if you're interested in training with the Zendo Project, that we provide a lot of training opportunities throughout the year. We'll talk more about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll definitely, and we'll have all podcast. sorts of links. Yeah. So, yeah, if you are either coming across someone at a festival or at a gathering or a party, you know, I think that the, f- the first thing is how we approach, how we approach someone. At the Zendo, we have a role uh, and it's called the greeters. So we have greeters and we have sitters and we have other roles within the Zendo. And the greeter's job is to welcome the person into the space. And sometimes um, the person doesn't want to go into the space. And in that case, the greeter's job is to welcome them into the present moment, welcome them to the container that we're creating. So what I think is an important thing to say here is that the container is you. So mm, I like that. Yeah. The container is you. Yeah. So this, in the Zendo project, we have this physical container. It's really nice. We have a lot of accoutrement. It's cozy. It's cozy. You've seen it. It's got tea. It's got blankets. It, got, it has pillows. And it has most importantly people because <laughs> all the blankets and pillows won't really change it if you're having a challenging experience. I mean, it can be helpful, really supportive. So the greeter's job is to welcome the person. And if you are out and you come across someone, you can greet them. And one of the things that we teach is to to really not not be too overly fussy i guess is a <laughs> non-technical term but to greet them like a human hi what's your name what 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 i've always found with any kind of work like this is that the first step is modeling what you're hoping that that person will get to. Mm-hmm. So if it's fussy, if you're trying to solve a problem, you're coming with some chaos. Yes. But, you know, mm-hmm. if you model breath, yeah. and if you're pleasant, and you're greeting your fellow traveler with a kind of gentle optimism, I mean, that is already so much of the work of allowing someone to feel that they're safe. Mm-hmm. Have you been a greeter? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah I, I think like being I, a greeter. Yeah. I... You're a great greeter. Oh, thank you. I, I now I remember you greeting me. I, um. I had, um, <laughs> with the first time, I had this scarf with lights underneath it. Mm-hmm. So it kind of looked a bit like a lay, but it was a little like glowy. And I, f- I was very happy in the greeter role because I was just like, Oh, well, we're just here. You know, you're at a festival. We're here. You want to come in this nice, quiet space where someone will sit and talk to you? Like, this is all very, this is all very nice and easy here. Um, So, yeah. No, definitely I've enjoyed Mm -hmm. being a greeter. So, yeah, a contextual welcoming and approach. So, um, hi, my name is Sarah. What's your name? Doesn't matter if they answer or not. <laughs> um, if they my get... name is <laughs> Star Wanderer. Um, I am God. <laughs> um, wonderful, God. Nice to meet you. Um, how was your? You know, where are you at? Where are you at? I like that. It's a term that I, I've been playing with a lot more lately. Instead of how are you or how how are you doing tonight? It's sometimes you know how are you doing can be helpful. But where are you at right now? Right. It, it, it's kind of like not implying that there's something 
wrong happening. It's just like, where are you at right now? Sometimes, you know, how are you, how are you doing? How's, how's your night going? Uh, How's your day going? And from there, you know, just giving space for the person. Um, We talk mm -hmm. about space a lot, holding space, giving space. We talk about containers too. Uh, For someone who is completely uninitiated into that Mm -hmm. language, what does it mean as an individual to create a container for another person or to hold space for another person or to give space to another person? What does that mean in this context? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a big question. I'll give my, I'll give my definition as it, as it comes to me in this moment, but I know a lot of people have different definitions of this. And I want to preface this with, we talk in the Zendo, we talk about having recreational spaces, ceremonial spaces, and therapeutic spaces. And it's just kind of an easy way to categorize these places and spaces where people might be engaging in psychedelic use. So a recreational space is somewhere that's not an intentional ceremony or not an intentional therapeutic environment, right? And in in a... Uh, ceremonial or a therapeutic environment, the space, the container that's being set is very explicit. If you go to a ceremony with a, w- with a shaman who's working with ayahuasca, or working with peyote, the space is very, very explicit in terms of what you're there to do how you're going to do it. <laughs> these are the rules. These are the, these are the negotiables. These are the non-negotiables. This is what we're here for. And so in recreational spaces, that's not so, it's not such a given, right? People are taking psychedelics and they may or may not have an intention and they're doing it for all kinds of different reasons. And that's totally fine. You know, people use psychedelics for all kinds of reasons, healing, fun, enjoyment, connection, all kinds of things. Uh, the thing with the recreational spaces is, is that we can learn from these places where there is an intentional container. We can learn from what's created in a therapeutic environment or a ceremonial environment. And that's what Zendo does is it creates a container in a, in a recreational environment. So in a ceremonial or in a therapeutic environment, uh, what's coming to me in this moment is that it can, a, a container is holding an intention to be present with what arises and to make space and room for things that may have not felt space or room before, mm-hmm. right? And there's a lot of safety mm-hmm. in when that space is held. And, and so we're to kind of p- come back to the greeter when you said to give them space, what I'm hearing there is the gift of the space to say, well, you're here now, but that doesn't mean that you are confined. It doesn't mean we're going to shuffle you one way or another. Hello, where are you at? Let me give you space and welcome you into this container that will hold whatever it is that you need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is related to a couple of our principles, which is creating a safe space, right? So in the Zendo, what we mean by a safe space is non-judgmental, accepting, also, you know, confidential, private, as well as creating boundaries. No harm to self, no harm to other, no harm to property. And right? this is this is the first pillar of yes. the Zendo? Yeah. So there's four pillars, mm-hmm. and the first is to create a safe space. Yeah. And that space can be created in the container that is the Zendo, mm-hmm. but it can also be created as a person. You said earlier, you are the container, and I love that. So that create a safe space as the first pillar of psychedelic peer support 
is about this holding. Yeah. So if you're the container, the idea is how empty can I be? Oh. Right? Because the more empty you are, wow. the more you can hold. Wow, that's so good. Right? So there's this idea in um, of being a hollow, a hollow reed. Or a, this is a, 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 a there's a the Buddhist, bone flute. Yes, the, the bone yeah, the, flute. One of my favorite Lakota expression: the bone flute through yeah. which spirit plays. Yes, yes, oh, exactly. Yeah. So how how much can you clear yourself to be there? And and really, that's about presence. You know, when we are most, my understanding of of uh, my understanding of enlightenment or actualization um, is that it is a place of presence where you're out of the way, your ego's out of the way, and you're just mm. present in there. And that people are going to have varying capacities to be able to do that. So if you come across someone at a festival and you're also having an experience, or you know, you may be on a psychedelic yourself, or you may not be, but the the idea is that. If you are able to be that clear, present, as much as possible, you know, clear, present, grounded space container for someone, then that's wonderful. And if not, then you need to get support and find someone else who can help you to do that with that person. But you can be a, a liaison. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, I'm, I'm feeling very meta in this moment because that is the exact yoga of my podcast. How can I clear my vessel to create the space for the wisdom of my guest to shine forth, you know, mm. and not to not to be like, oh, now now it's time for an amen thing or now, it, you know, like I mean, literally doing it in this moment, but I feel like it's fair. Uh, mm. <laughs> but there's but there's it's a yoga, you know, it's a it's a it's a practice. And that's part of the bounty of volunteering for Zendo. It helps you clean your vessel. It helps you see what beauty can unfold when you get out of your own way in service of someone else. Yeah. And as you were speaking that, that's what I was thinking was, wow, that's exactly, that's very similar to how you described your experience in the Zendo, mm. how you're doing your podcast. Of, yeah. So you've greeted, you've created a safe space either in yourself or by inviting them into the Zendo. What is the next step? Yeah. And, and I also want to say that the steps all happen simultaneously sometimes. Fair. Yes. Okay. What is the concurrent <laughs> yes. step? <laughs> um, so sitting and not guiding is the second principle. And the idea with this is is a lot back to, the, you know, they're all, the, the principles are interesting. They're all very interconnected and related. And they're ways in which we've organized the work that we do and how we work with people there. We like to have forks. They feel like pillars. They feel like a strong foundation. And we see that most of what we do with people fall under one of these four pillars. So, or principles. So with sitting and not guiding, you are really focusing on tuning in and listening, right? And this is part of the container piece too. It's part of the, creating space is listening, not interjecting, not putting too much of your own stuff in there. So um, when you're sitting for someone, you know, it doesn't actually, yes, you could be sitting, um, but it doesn't actually mean that you're just sitting there doing nothing. It, it, it Sitting actually takes a lot of work. For anyone who has mm. a meditation mm -hmm. practice, <laughs> you know that sitting takes, and just being with yourself for five minutes even sometimes can be challenging, right? I think a lot of people don't understand <laughs> this about trip sitting, yes. that it can be physically tedious. Yeah. Like it, it's a lot of, a lot of the best part, a lot of the most important part of the work is actually quite boring. 
uh-huh. can well can be quite boring if you're you know used to the different attention seeking dopamine <laughs> chasing brains we have. Yeah, yeah, it is one of my biggest. Yeah, I'll be vulnerable that it is one of my biggest annoyances when when people kind of give trip sitting have that perspective that oh it's just kind of like you know you're just sitting around with your friend it it's so much more than that it is a it's a practice of meditation where you're really being present with someone so this sitting and not guiding is you're listening you're taking you're taking it in you're really listening from the heart right there's ways of listening uh, you can listen waiting for what's the thing that i'm going to respond to right what's the thing that i'm going to say in response versus just really taking in what they're saying even if you don't understand it even if they're in such a far out place that what they're saying you know makes no sense to you because you're not in that kind of far out place with them right and it's a lot like meditation itself if you can give your attention fully, you won't be bored. And if you can't give your attention fully, you're guaranteed to have some degree of restlessness. And when you're with someone, I remember in the Zendo, um, a gentleman stepping up to the light, continued to step up to the light. Um, as far as confidentiality, is that okay to say mm-hmm. that a gentleman continued to step up to the light? Yeah. I want to be very mindful of the confidentiality piece because it's so important. Yeah. That that f- don't bring, don't uh, mention specific events. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's an important piece of the container. Um, but just this experience of this person stepping up and going to the light and then and then coming back into a different place and sitting down, but the, just continuing to come back to this. Um was so beautiful and poetic and 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 fascinating and something that I had no purchase on like I couldn't understand the qualitative experience of this kind of recursive reaching but it was so beautiful to be there fully with that experience mm. um so as you say that what it what comes to mind for me is that listening isn't just with your ears mm. right that so much of the experience sometimes is being with people when they're just totally they might not be saying anything. They might be in a totally inward space or going up to the light. And and so sitting, it's not this this idea of listening to someone is listening with your whole body, listening with your heart, not just listening with your ears. And we're such a verbal society, right? We put so much emphasis on verbal. And I mean, even in therapy, it's like talk therapy is the dominant, you know, form of therapy. But listening can happen by looking at someone's, you know, looking how someone's moving, um, how their where their focus is, paying attention and tracking. I like this idea of tracking. I used to be in the field of environmental science. And I, I like the idea of like being in the wilderness and kind of like tracking an animal, right? So it's like tracking a human, like what are they looking at? Where are they at? right now where where are they um holding tension in their body or where are they what how are they posturing themselves you can learn so much from listening to people's uh facial expressions body movements the things that are in between the lines the things that aren't being said right so this this listening piece happens with more than just your ears it's really a a whole kind of somatic full body experience and then this not guiding piece is (laughs) I think the main piece around that is this beginner's mind, this Mm. letting go of your agenda, um, what you were speaking to around letting go of your own ideas of what 
you think should happen or how you think this should look. And I'll give a concrete example. If someone says something and it rings true to, to something in your life that uh, they're describing an experience that they're having, you know, I'm they're breaking up with a partner or something and it rings true for you and you've had an experience and that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful to have a, a mutually connective experience, but to not overlay your own experience onto mm-hmm. theirs, right? To not kind of, oh, well, when I was going through this experience, this is what I did. And this is maybe, you know, it's okay to offer sometimes reframes or, or people often ask for, you know, suggestions or ideas, or what do you think about that? Or have you had life experiences like that? And that's, that's totally fine. And with totally within the frame of the Zendo to talk about, to your own comfort um, and disclose your own life experience, but don't let your own life experience take over the conversation. I, I'm I'm so much more rigorous in terms of my Zendo stuff. Like I am just like exclusively like positive mirroring, right? You know, I if someone were, to, I, I don't know that anyone's ever explicitly asked me advice in the Zendo, but that would be really weird for me because my whole yoga is like, well, that that does sound the way you've just described it. Oh, I. I, that is like that, that, you know, like just positively kind of like smiling, being calm and just reflecting back to them. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like for me, it's a Pandora's box. If I start talking about my experiences, <laughs> it's like we are in a whole, you know. Yeah. Um, well, you've learned this principle really well. It's, it's been work, you good, know. Good work. <laughs> so the second pillar, sitting, not guiding. And what is the next concurrent aspect? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so talking through and not down. So the last two principles get into kind of some languaging and uh, semantics that I, I like to talk about and, and to navigate. So this idea of talking through and not down kind of came from the commonly used language of talking someone down, right? Oh, you got to talk this person down. Commonly, I mean, um, you know, the way that the non-Zendo project way of doing things, <laughs> um, whatever and, that looks like. And, and talking down sounds like just get them out of the discomfort. Yeah. Like whatever it takes to get away from the discomfort, uh-huh. even if that means that discomfort shrinks back inside. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it also, I I also have connotations with it of talking down to someone, mm. right? So there can be an, in, an infantilization that people do who are not sensitive or not aware of how psychedelics uh, work with the emotions and 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 where there can be this like oh this person's just high or the, you're just really high or you're just really you know like or even so much to extreme of you know things that I've seen of people making fun of people right like oh there can be like this I I, I think it's from their own discomfort. Right. Mm. It's um, always from yeah, their own discomfort. From their own discomfort. Yeah. A lot of the ways that people deal with these in un- these situations and unskillful means are really discomfort. It's not. It's it's most of the time it's not malice. It's discomfort as well as stigma around psychedelics and just a lack of understanding of how psychedelics and and often a lack of a desire to understand how psychedelics work. And and sometimes humor is a way of opting out of discomfort. You know, yeah. if, let's, I'm going to crack a joke and that takes me into into my own safety because it's hard to just hold that presence. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the the worst case kind of like scenario of that is the people who take photos of people who are tripping at festivals. Mm. Like, please stop doing that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's it's really bad for him. The, the, vid- the video of the woman who is like having an erotic experience with a tree. Have you seen this video? No, I, I probably would never. 
it, it's it's <laughs> it's it's exactly the worst version of this. It's yeah. just like it's all over the internet at a festival. Someone is having a psychedelic experience of deep intimacy with a tree, and there's a circle of people laughing and taking videos, and it's just heartbreaking. And it's like, who in that crowd would have you know stepped up and been like, hey, like let let me check in with this person and take care of them and see what they need, you know? Yeah. 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 And if someone from, you know, if someone who had been trained with the Zendo, if you had been there, Eamon, you know, like you would have skillfully navigated that situation. I 100% (laughs) would have. Well, and, and because when you, when you start to get deeper and deeper into this and you start to recognize what someone's potential spiritual and emotional process is in that moment, wouldn't you want the kindest possible holding in that moment? Wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't anyone want the kindest possible holding in any kind of trauma? Yeah. So. Yeah. And and that's one of my cautions to like, whether it's decriminalization or medicalization or things becoming more, this the term we use mainstream, but yeah, the, the com- becoming more, integrated into society you know psychedelics becoming more integrated into society is that people uh, learn how to even if they're not doing a full peer support training that they learn just like basics of how psychedelics can work and and why you know i mean ideally they they do get some additional training or knowledge around this because it is going to be something that's increasingly happening and I, I hope, I really hope, and my, you know, our intention with the Zendo is, is to create a normalization of these things, a normalization of how people behave in, in strange, weird, you know, ways and normalizing that. And uh, we model that by, you know, we might be out at a festival and somebody's with us and they're doing something you know, dancing in a weird way or rolling in the dirt or something like that. And we, it's our job to make sure that everyone feel everyone around them feels safe like they don't have, feel concern or you know that that they know that we're there and that this is our work we're there to help people who are having psychedelic experiences and so communicating that to people you know so if you see something like this you can intervene by you know saying you know i'm I'm someone who has experience uh, working, you know, if, if this is true, <laughs> um, I, if you've trained with the Zender Project or other peer support organizations, you know, I'm, I'm someone who has experience working with people with psychedelic experiences. You know, this is this is really a, a very vulnerable thing that's that this person is, is having right now. And, it, you know, if you were in this kind of situation, would you want somebody to be filming you? Probably mm. not. And creating boundaries, just put your you know, put your fucking phone away in a nice, in a maybe sometimes nicer voice than that. Yeah, because but being firm when you need to. <laughs> yeah, those boundaries are so important. Yeah, you know, creating mm-hmm. safety requires you know containers require boundaries. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's one other piece with. So we'll get back to talking through and not down. But I think that that's really important that this isn't just like because the Zendo is allowing and accepting and inviting. It doesn't mean by any means that it's, it, we have a lot of boundaries. We have a lot of guidelines that we follow, both our sitters and the the things that we ask our you know of our guests. We call them our guests the people who come to us is really there are rules there are rules to keep people safe everyone safe the volunteers the guests the public everybody so talking through and not down if you're crossing a bridge and you need to get to the other side what's the safest way to get to the other side keep going keep going cross it's like that winston churchill quote <laughs> if you're going through hell keep going yeah yeah keep going so that's i think one of the you know the metaphors that really works with this is is Interventions that are unskillful, unnecessarily 
damaging, such as restraint and sedation in situations that don't require that. There are there are occasional situations that were that that may require you know it, those kinds of means restraint sedation things like that but yeah. most do not let's pause on that for a moment mm-hmm. because i've had a couple of members of the life is a festival community had questions around this so mm-hmm. i think this is a great time to address them Perfect. which is you know how do you know when a situation requires a more assertive intervention and also kind of along with that um this is from nathan um was asking people use benzos like Xanax, as a way of trying to calm down people having a bad trip. Now, my instinct is that that is pretty much across the board not a good idea. I guess the question would be, when in a medical setting would would someone who's working with a Zendo or perhaps triaged through medical choose to use something like a Xanax? And would there ever be a case where you would want to use that if you're with your friends and someone's being aggressive? Like, what about that kind of intervention? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I want to... I think that this is, you know, obviously this this is obvious to you, but I want to make it obvious to listeners that Zendo doesn't provide medical care. That we do, if someone is having medical symptoms, that yeah, we triage them, we give give them to medical. And the Zendo's um, the Zendo's like right by medical. It's right then, next to medical. Yeah. yeah. So there are people right there who mm-hmm. can help if things yes. are escalating. Yeah, yeah, and that happens, and we we do escalate a fair amount of people to medical, and then medical brings people to us once they've cleared people as well. So sometimes people go to medical, and medical's like, oh, this isn't a medical thing. This is a this is a psychological or emotional thing, and they give them to us. And then if there's any signs and symptoms that someone's having a medical emergency, that person is is triaged over to medical. So I'll I'll say that. And then yeah, the top the topic of chemical restraints or, you know, different halidol or benzos or different types of, of drugs that might help um typically there's uh so benzos will not stop a trip. Typically, they might calm somebody down, but then there are anti, you know, there's antipsychotics that can be administered that would more so kind of really knock someone out, right? And there is some research, but for those out there interested in research in the psychedelic field, uh, one thing that I think we need more of is we need more hard data that is saying these are the detrimental effects of restraint and chemical restraint, so physical and chemical restraint um, on people on psychedelics. A lot of what I'll share is more anecdotal. And so if you're interested in writing papers and learning about that, like, please reach out to the Zendo. That would be hard to study. Yes, <laughs> it would be. And there are, back before, back in the days, in the, in the 90s, there were, there were certain programs and certain people, researchers and therapists who were doing some, they were doing some research and they were also just doing treatment, um, working with people in psychedelic states and uh kind of different but similar area of psychotic states um, where they would have, for instance, Michael Cornwall did this work where in one wing of the hospital, they administered, they ad- administered, I forget what they were giving them, but they stated people and then they also restrained them. In the other wing of the hospital, they had a, a a model that was very similar to the Zendo Project model. Um, they just let people, they kept them safe physically, um, but they just like let them have their experience. And some of those people, their experience was psychedelically 
related. And for some, it, it wasn't. It was more of a, you know, what you might call a psychosis or schizophrenia, which that's a, that's a whole rabbit hole we could go down of psychosis and schizophrenia and spiritual emergence. And for people who are interested in that, they can look into Stan Groff's work on spiritual emergence. This is very applicable. There's a lot of things that relate to both. So I, I believe that from what I've seen and from what people have told me, and we get a lot of accounts, we get a lot of people who email us, we get a lot of people who come into the Zendo looking to integrate past experiences. So anecdotally, what I've seen, and I am also an integration therapist, so I work with a lot of people who who had challenging experiences that's, you know, some got support and a lot of them didn't and, or the support was really heavy handed, <laughs> if you want to call it support. And so what I've seen and what a lot of other colleagues of mine have, you know, have commented on is that when you stop a psychedelic, uh, when you stop the the difficult experience, when you stop the psychedelic experience, and while somebody is bring is processing something and something's really up and it's in the light, that it does get kind of shoved back down. And that sometimes then what happens is that what I've seen in, in some of my clients that I work with is that they start to loop around it. They start to kind mm. of become stuck on mm. this thing. It's almost like yeah, when something comes, when something's really deep down and then it becomes partially out, right? It's like there's this limbo, there's this bardo, right? And what I mean by out is like, you know, you you have something that's been so repressed that you didn't even know maybe existed. And then it's come up and you, so now you know it's there, but it hasn't actually been resolved. Mm. So sexuality have, a lot in yeah, psychedelics. Yeah, People yeah. with sexuality stuff, it's often emerging. And someone once told me, slight side note that his opinion or no not his opinion their opinion was that when that when we repress aspects of our being that they that they that sexuality is a channel with which they those repressed parts of our psyche can can bubble up and so i think that's part of why a lot of what is hidden ends up being in the sexual realm or ends up being kind of related to it, the sexual realm. And I, I've, I've found in my own experience with psychedelics and my own experience of exploring my sexuality that psychedelics are kind of like, okay, well, it's coming out. And like this thing about yourself you don't want to look at is coming out. And I think it's a lot of times sexuality is one of the big ones for that. Mm-hmm. And sexuality is the big shadow of our culture. Mm, it's the yeah. thing that's repressed. I mean, I would, I would, it's really up there in terms of, sexual energy, sexual expression. It's that it's that strange paradox where it's everywhere and it's there's over sexualization and then actual, you know, our actual sexual generative energy is really repressed and so from a very early age, right? Everything from masturbation to just play and curiosity and those things in in I'll say western culture to be general about it is is really there's a lot of shadow there around our sexuality, a lot of it's repressed. And so you were saying when the psychedelic experience is allowing some repressed trauma or repressed aspects of identity or self to emerge, and then it is obstructed, perhaps, you know, we're talking about maybe giving someone a Xanax or kind of restraining them or that it, that it goes back in or that they kind of loop on it. Yes. And it's really, yeah, that they, they can loop on it and that it can start to cause symptoms for them. So we have these natural protective mechanisms that kind of keep those things down until we're safe enough to feel them. So an example is therapy, 
right? So with therapy, the idea is that you can talk to your therapist or you can work with your therapist to talk about things that were um, previously unsafe to talk about, but the therapist is creating a safe environment for you to talk about those things. So if those things start to emerge in a, a place where there's not a container and then they get stopped, essentially the, I think the message to the system uh, the, what I mean by the system is like the whole body because trauma and all of these things, all of the things that happen to us are all stored in our soma, our physical somatic body. And the body keeps the score. The body keeps the score. Levine. <laughs> so so these things are stored. And so this is just my kind of spin on it is that I believe that then when it's suppressed again, that the system gets the message, the whole somatic system gets the message of, oh, right, that's not safe. Mm. It's not safe. So it's almost like a re-traumatization. Yeah, exactly. It's not safe yeah. to explore that. Can't go there. That's bad. Literally last time I tried to explore that, I got restrained to a cot and injected with some antipsychotics. Mm. Like that's a big, strong message mm. to your system, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm, maybe I won't talk about that again, yeah. right? And it, it's kind of like, it might seem like a leap, but I think from a from a therapist perspective, it's really not. Like it, it really might keep someone, even if they never do a psychedelic again, it really might keep someone from going back to that thing. And what I have heard from a lot of people who have done psychedelics again is that it will go back to that piece. And hopefully if they're in a safe enough container that they'll be able to resolve that. But I think that, you know, the, whenever you suppress something again, it really, it does have a tendency to, I think there, there's a, a physical, a whole body response to kind of like, Oh, all right. Got to keep that down again. So, so this is kind of a good segue into the fourth pillar. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like maybe you were about to say something. Yeah. Coachella, but LIB. LIB, maybe, <laughs> right? Like, uh, I mean, my intentions for going to festivals have, have really changed over the years. Obviously, I do this work, so my intention is to... And I believe a lot of people do. I don't want to, like... That's what the whole transformational festival scene is about, is people going and wanting to have more healing experiences. So I'm not at all saying that everyone's just, like, out to party. And I'm not saying that partying can't be healing. Well <laughs> and, you know, for this podcast and for my own perspective of festivals is that the sort of it's simultaneous, but the trajectory is party, heal, serve, right? You go to party, you realize that like part of why you're so desperate to party is because your day-to-day -day life is painful in a way you didn't really understand. And partying is a respite from that. So it's not even celebration in connection. It's partying and escaping. Then you realize, oh shit, there's this stuff in me. You start to work on healing it. And as you go through that healing process and get deeper into that healing process, you're like, oh, not only am I now in a cleaner place to serve, like I want to help people around me, but actually the serving is a deepening of my healing and a deepening of my connection and celebration. That's why I think about festivals as incubators for this kind of personal, this specific kind of personal growth, because we celebrate we discover in ourselves these wounds, we go to heal them, and then ultimately we're serving and watching others go through the same cycle. Mm, that's, that's a really, yeah, I love that way of putting it. I think that psychedelics are tricky like that. It's almost like like if they were, which you know, many will say, they are these, these beings, they're these beings with an intelligence, they're they have an intelligentsia to them. And that's more so accepted in like the plant medicine community, but for... For people as far out as me, it's also true for 
more synthetic substances too. But I think that, you know, it's like, yeah, come play, come to this party, come play and, and let's, you know, let's explore. And then it's like, whoa, okay. I didn't know that was there. And so I think that there, um, there's some sort of, I believe there's some sort of unknown, mysterious, you know, intelligence around it. And I agree that, you know, I mean, the whole, I believe that the whole idea with healing is that it is to be of service, right? Otherwise, what the, what are we doing here? I mean, when, but you, it's hard to be of service to others when you're so in your own wounds and when you're so in your own pain. And so I think that, you know, we're talking, there's a lot of conversation right now around collective healing and individual healing. And um, I think both can happen simultaneously, like what you said, right? And I do think that you have to be in a relative state of, awareness of your own process and of your own wounds to actually be of service to others. And that the more you do that, it's this ongoing lifelong process. And the more that you are working with yourself, the more capacity you have, capacity you have to serve other people, not just people, all beings, all life. I fear I may have interrupted the final piece of the talking through. Oh. Did we, did we land that piece? I think we landed. Okay. Yeah. Because there's a there's a bridge to this final pillar here when we're talking about through, not down. Because the final pillar, I feel like they really go together. I mean, they all do. But you want to let us know about the the final pillar, and I'll and I'll kind of mm-hmm. make the point I'm going for here as well. Yeah. So uh, the final pillar principle is difficult is not the same as bad. And. The difficult is not the same as bad. Is It's a really interesting and important wording that difficult is not the same as bad. I think that often translates to that trips are never bad. Um, yes. And that that and I had a, uh, one of the comment when I asked mm-hmm. for feedback, one of the comments that I got, which I really wanted to make sure that we that I actually read in full on this on this podcast, because I think it's so important. And I'm, I'm not going to name the person who said this just because I don't know what kind of privacy they'd prefer. Um, this was posted in the Zendo volunteers group when I asked for I asked for some comments as someone who had a bad trip that had a negative impact on my life for years. I hope you can debunk the there's no bad trips bullshit that's being said amongst people who consider themselves better beings for not having experienced a bad trip of that magnitude themselves. So a lot of pain there. Yeah. So difficult is not the same as bad. But are there trips that are scarring and traumatic? And and how do we... And what do we do with these? And and how does that square with what we're talking about of the inner healer or the wisdom of the psychedelic itself when someone can have an experience that they really do feel has has given them a deep cut, perhaps mm-hmm. for their life? Yeah, yeah. So this is, yeah, this is really important. And I've, a couple people have asked this question before. And there's a reason why the fourth principle is is not, I repeat, is not, there's no such thing as a bad trip <laughs> because there absolutely is such thing as a bad trip. There are all kinds of, of situations that people can find themselves in. Everything from they're dosed with something that they didn't know that they were dosed with mm. to they take a substance that is not the substance that they thought that they were taking to they are on something and something traumatic happens to them, whether it's an external trauma that happens to them, or it's an internal trauma, something comes up, doesn't get resolved, doesn't get worked through, they don't have the support, things spiral and things scar. So there's 
so many, there are so many examples of what I would term a bad trip. This, this principle. So does that? Yeah. 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 And that's just, that's just touching it. And this principle is not, it, it's really about the idea that our difficult experiences, let's take psychedelics out of the picture for a moment, that our difficult life experiences, when we always, or when we often or frequently label them as bad, mm-hmm. right? That that doesn't give us a lot of room to work with what can be what can be learned from this experience? How can I grow from this experience? How can challenges, how can we have challenging experiences that we can arise from and learn from, right? When we put the term bad on something, it's kind of like an analogy of like a bad person, right? Like a, a this person is bad and they're in jail and, and that's, and they can never be better, right? We do that all the time. That's our entire that's our entire prison system complex right there, right? It's like people are bad. They, they, when they do a bad thing, they deserve to be punished. <laughs> and that label is with them forever, right? And that, that's, not a, that's not a restorative justice philosophy. That's not a healing philosophy, right? And, and so to relate it back to this, it's like the idea that, that every that a difficult experience or something that's challenging that happens is always bad and if we just put bad period at the end of it that there's not a lot of room for growth there all we want to do is just turn it off get away mm-hmm. get out of it yeah you know for me this really resonates with my relationship to depression um uh, one of the most liberating parts of my journey with depressive episodes was deciding to view my depression as a teacher and to say that, okay, this is a part of my lived experience. And at certain points in my life, this teacher may come and it will be painful and I'll want to escape. And it will, you know, there's nothing I hate more (laughs) than when the color leaves life. But by characterizing it as a teacher and by seeking like, what's happening now? Am I being shown that I need to slow down? Am I being shown that I need to change my diet? Am I being given the privilege of a deeper empathy for others? All of that is a kind of reframing that it certainly doesn't alleviate the symptoms of a deep lethargy or uh, oppressive and terrifying rumination. And for anyone who suffers from depression, my heart goes out to you because I know that lead blanket, you know, I know what it's like. But if it's just, I am depressed it will never end. I am stuck. It is bad. Just get me out. You know, that is, there's a sort of like narrowing of potential and hope that I think is actually part of the depressive experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that does kind of, that makes sense because I think a, a very difficult psychedelic experience can feel a lot like a depression in its looping and rumination and stuckness and in its very stripped down and limited way that the world could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good analogy, and it, yeah, I just think that having that perspective, whether as a sitter or you know, it's it's not like we we're not typically conveying that verbally to our guests. It's a philosophy that underlines the work that we do. If if you're coming in as a sitter and you're thinking, 
oh, this person is having a really bad time and this it's related to the other principles, right? If you're having a bad time, then it needs to be stopped. There's nothing to learn from it. It just needs to end. So there there goes talking through and not down yeah, out and, the window, and it, right? And it, was, and it was also, if you're having a bad time, it's bad luck. It's just something that happened and you want to, and there isn't like, oh, this might be a gift to me. Mm-hmm. This might be, what might, what might I, what might unfold in this experience? Right. right. And it also puts the things that are coming up, the things that are arising, the traumas, the, the emotions, the memories, all of those things that are being catalyzed to come up. It puts those things in the category of bad, right? And, and they feel bad in the moment. That's why we call it, you know, it feels, I don't want to feel that. Like people, like we like to feel comfortable. We like to feel feel good and it's like that's the my understanding of you know the the buddhist samsara is it's that constantly going towards a craving the things that that feel good and trying to get more of those while simultaneously recoiling and retracting from the things that feel bad so that's the the cycle of samsara and whether you believe in karma and samsara or whatever i think that we, I mean, what I can speak to personally in my life is that if I'm able to accept and and trust that there's some learning here, there's some teaching here, or that things that are happening, the, the challenging things that I'm facing on a regular basis, the challenging things that are happening to the planet on a regular basis, if we could just go, oh, this is just bad, where is there room to to try to to change things, to try to work with things, to try to, to improve our situation. So my heart just like, so feels it goes out to people who, you know, have had these experiences that they, you know, that have really hurt them and that, that have, have felt like they are, you know, their experiences that these were bad experiences and absolutely. And so the, the idea with this is that through reframing as a sitter, as somebody who's working with someone on, on, on a psychedelic, who's sitting with someone, the idea is that if you can be open to the possibility that what is, that what's emerging is emerging for a reason, it's emerging because it wants to be seen. What is being mm-hmm. offered up to be healed. Yeah, exactly. Then there's so much more possibility, right? Than just, oh, this is just a bad time and we got to write it out or we got to sedate them or we got to stop the process or we got to all of that, right? All the things that the peer support slash harm reduction model is trying to create a, a new way of working with um, these old, these older, more outdated models. I say older, but in fact, probably more ancient civilizations had ways of working with these these experiences that are more similar to what we're trying to do than <laughs> restrain, sedate, arrest, hospitalize. Yeah. All those things. Control. 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 Yeah. So much control in our society and so much control in ourselves trying Mm -hmm. to look good on Instagram and trying to be successful professionally. And one of the things that psychedelics is so profound at doing is is loosening these controls that we think have made us safe and have turned into our prisons. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I want to, I feel like sometimes the conversation around around this gets really easily focused on the really like far out there experiences, like the ones that actually need to get restrained or sedate or end up restrained or sedated. Um, the conversation often goes to that um, because that's the, the experiences that people see. Those are the experiences that are in the news. Those are the kind of things that are really intense. But I want to, I want to make a r- remark here that, that all of these principles apply to the person who's isolated in their tent, who mm. doesn't want to leave their tent, who won't talk to somebody who, 
you know, there's so many experiences that we probably don't see as people just hide them. A lot of times in this, you know, individualistic patriarchal society, it's like, I just got to deal with this problem on my own. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people have apologized for being in the Zendo. I'm so sorry. I'm mm. so sorry I'm here. I'm, I'm taking up your time. Like, we're, we're actually here to, this is what we're here to do. And the surprise that comes across their look, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, the surprise of like, wait, what? You're actually here volunteering to your time to be with me? Like, yeah, I'm here on an eight-hour shift just to be with you. It's like, it's so hard for people to comprehend that there's people who just want to be there to support them and to take that support in, right? So this isn't just about, the peer support just isn't just about the big experiences that people, you know, where they need to be wrangled and they need to keep, you know, from climbing up things and all that, it, dancing on stage and taking over the DJ booth. Like, yeah, there's those experiences, but this is also for your friend who is at the party in the corner, they're being quiet and not wanting to talk to anybody like who's feeling depressed. Like all these principles apply. And all these principles apply beyond the psychedelic experience. Yes. You know, I've had as many people in my Zindo sitting experience who have not been on a specific psychedelic, someone having an anxiety experience, someone who is having an experience with other substances, but that was giving them an experience of anxiety. I had uh, at Burning Man, someone who was just having just the worst burn and, and just really wanted connection. And I think that, well, I think it's very important to be mindful of the resource of the Zendo. So for example, you know, it's hot outside, you want to go and sit in the Zendo because it's cool. I think we need to be mindful about the use of resources. But if you need to be with a human being to sit with you, then the Zendo space is open for that. And in a sense, we're all having trips. <laughs> we're all on our trips, you know, and I've had extremely rewarding time sitting in the Zendo using the same Zendo principles, like not giving advice, not talking about myself, using exactly the Zendo principles with someone who is just having just, they lost their friends, they're totally anxious, they're, they're dehydrated, like, you know, all this stuff is happening. Yes. And, and that's what our statistics show is that about half of the people who come to us are not actively on a psychedelic some people under report obviously because they're afraid of you know admitting that they're on something but when we when we work with people and we look back on the people that we've worked with about half of them report and appear to not be on any substance and maybe we need to change our name to you know mm. send a project for peer peer support for just peer support <laughs> Just peer support. Just just peer call support. it community. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I like that idea that, that we're all on a trip. We're all on a journey. We're all walking each other home as we're Ram Dass. all walking each other home. Ramdas. Are there other places people can get trained in this way? Yes, absolutely. So we're doing a lot of trainings. 2020 is kind of the year that we've we have the most trainings we've ever had planned. And some of them are still in the planning phases, but we will be, by the time that this podcast comes out, we will have trainings listed on our website. We have one upcoming in Nashville. We're going to have some California trainings this year, Bay Area. We are going to possibly be doing, yeah, the other ones, we don't have the exact dates yet. Um, Nashville is confirmed and that's going to be in April. 
So if you want to learn about our trainings, you can go to the Zender Project website, zenderproject.org, go on the trainings page, and there will be a list of the locations. So we do trainings all over the country. We also do trainings internationally as well. And the the trainings that we do, public trainings, are eight hours long, typically. Uh, so it's a full day of training. And it's really experiential. There's a lot of exercises. What other organizations are doing psychedelic peer support? For ex- So I'm familiar with at least um, the Sanctuary at Shambhala Festival. That's actually where I first encountered psychedelic peer support, which, which is when I then looked into the Zendo. Uh, did I tell you that I, I'm sure I did tell you, and I'm super fine with saying it on the podcast. My whole Zendo thing came out of an ayahuasca ceremony. Did I ever tell you that? I don't remember if you did. Okay. I, I don't, yeah. I have a very, I'm, I love ayahuasca. It is my favorite psychedelic experience. It is my favorite experience of consciousness. It is what has given me the most invitations to be my best self in these kinds of ways. And in either my first or second experience, I was very directly told to go do Zendo. And um, yeah, I was really clearly told. It was like, you do psychedelic first aid. Go do, and I'd I'd gone to the sanctuary at Chambala, and so I kind of knew what it was, but I didn't really know. And I had this invitation, and I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? I started researching. I learned about the Zendo Project, and I saw that y'all were at Envision Festival, and that was during my early career at Fest 300. And so I was like, well, how do I swing this? So I I contacted Envision, um, connected with Justin Brothers. Um, I think I connected with you at that time, and then I went to Chip, my boss, who is the godfather of this podcast. We love you, Papa Chip. Uh, and I said, okay, here's my pitch. I want you to send me to Costa Rica to do this Zendo training, and I will write you an article, and I promise that the article that I write will get in the tens of thousands of views. It'll be worth your time to do this. And I created this whole elaborate thing to get myself to Costa Rica, and that's where I met you, and that's where I did the project, and then I wrote the article, which was um, titled, I did Psychedelic First Aid at a Festival in Costa Rica, and it did get a whole bunch of views, and it was like, and all of that was an invitation from you were saying earlier, there is consciousness in in these medicines. And my whole relationship to Zendo was that invitation and then this unfolding. Hmm. Did I tell you that story? You told me everything except the ayahuasca part, I think. Oh, that, that's yeah. interesting. I feel like I would have led with that. But. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, or it was five years ago and it just, mm. yeah. I, I don't know if I was, it. I don't think I was as open about, yeah. about ayahuasca five years ago. That's that's so beautiful. That thank true. you, Ayahuasca, for bringing oh. Amen to us. Thank you, Plant Medicine. Oh, side note. Do you know about Thank You, Plant Medicine? Yes. It, so Thank You, Plant Medicine is a, um, a day of coming out and thanking plant medicines for how they have healed our lives. And it's February 20th. So coming up, potentially, as this podcast is produced, we will have a day of publicly expressing our gratitude for plant medicine. That's beautiful. I love hearing people's stories of how they got to this work and just, yeah, how it has become a community for a lot of people or a, a way into the festival world. It was my way into the festival world. Really? I, well, it was my way into Burning Man. (laughs) I went to Burning Man for the first time to do the Zendo project and 
and went from there and had had my own experiences, both, you know, seeing people having challenging experiences and having my own challenging experiences and saw the interventions that were happening and recognized them as not sufficient and um, which was a huge drive for me to want to do this work. Um, about other organizations doing this work. Um, and we talked about the sanctuary in, in Canada. There's a community there. I'm aware of some of them, but I was wondering what uh, what some of your colleagues are in the space, and particularly those that you would recommend others engaging with, perhaps internationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Cosmic Air is a big one. Oh, yeah, at Boom. Yeah, yeah, at Boom. And MAPS was there in the early days of Cosmic Air. So before Zendo Project, MAPS was involved in doing peer support since the early 2000s at both Burning Man and Boom and, other, and Shambhala, other festivals as well. So before the Zendo project kind of name really stuck in 2012 and had sort of a a rejuvenation of the department of harm reduction at MAPS, Rick Doblin, the the founder of MAPS and his colleagues there have, you know, been doing this work for about 20 years now. So Cosmicare is a really big one. The great thing about Cosmicare is that they've done, they've been able because they're in Portugal and drugs are decriminalized in Portugal, have been for a long time, that they're able to do a lot more with their data. Mm, um, and that's, and they mm-hmm. produced the handbook, right? Or not they, but like it was MAPS, Cosmicare, the Portuguese government, wasn't there a whole group doing the handbook for psychedelic peer support? So there's the manual of uh, psychedelic peer support. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Cosmicare contributed to that. Um, there was a number of, so Annie Oak of the Tea House uh, was an editor and contributor to that as well. And uh, she started the Tea House at Burning Man, which is sort of a Zendo light type experience. So people who, people can go there when they just need to relax, when they just need a, a space. To, it's, it's called soft landing is the camp there. So they need a place to relax. They might be uh, overstimulated, a little overwhelmed. So they go there. And then if it turns out that they really need some extra support and someone to talk to, then the people the wonderful volunteers over at Soft Landing and the Tea House will, and this is at Burning Man, I don't know if I mentioned that, will take people over to to the Zendo. And then in the Zendo, when people feel like they're grounded enough and they feel ready to go back out into the playa, then we recommend sometimes for people to go to the Tea House to have a nice kind mm. of integration experience. And Annie Oak really started the, the Tea House kind of in, around the same time as the Zendo started. Um, she's a legend. So she absolutely is. She has so much wisdom to share. Um, has been in this community for so long and has really created so so much with the Women's Visionary Congress and with the Tea House and with her other ventures. She's just, yeah, has uh, she's amazing. I love Annie Oak, yeah. So she is is someone who has been um, a mentor and a leader in this field. And so Cosmicare, uh, Maria Carmo Carvalho from Cosmicare has been able to do a lot of research. Uh, she works, she's a professor at University of, I hope I get this right, at University of Porto. And she has been able to write papers and look at the data that they've collected. And, um, you know, that's really important to be able to, to do that. And there are 
others popping up. So the Zenda Project provides training and consultation to groups that want to start their own organization. Oh, actually, that's great because one of the questions I have from from folks that were wanted to had there was a very specific question on that subject, which is. Do you have any advice for someone trying to formalize their psychedelic harm reduction slash peer support group? Um, can people reach out to the Zendo and potentially partner with you and learn from you and potentially be validated by their relationship with you in this in this mm-hmm. field? Yeah, so we do have a grassroots training program, and we if you email us at zendo at maps.org and ask about our grassroots training program and tell us about yourself and what you're up to, and then we will um, give you the information. And there's a form to fill out, and uh, we work to provide mentorship and consultation and some volunteer opportunities and sort of, yeah, like mentorship opportunities with the Zendo. And then we offer consultation as people become skilled as a group in providing these services, then we help them navigate the world of actually implementing the services, which is more of the kind of logistics and operations and conversations, you know, that you're having with producers and things like that. So, and the the manual of psychedelic support, the MOPS, which you just mentioned, is also a really good resource for that. We'll have that linked in the show notes. There's um, a lot in there, but yeah, sometimes it's really, we just love to support fledgling organizations who are like, Hey, they're in all different levels of formation. So they're like, Hey, I, you know, we, we wanted, we did this and we're learning and you know, what would you do in this situation? Or these, the questions that come up are so specific to each organization. And so we really like to provide that, you know, consultation. And as a nonprofit, we're able to do that at a pretty low cost. And we really want to support other organizations that want to do this work out in the world. And, so we do so we do these public trainings, these day-long trainings, and then we do this grassroots, more advanced training for groups who are already forming. And a couple good examples of groups that have formed Harmonia in Asheville, North Carolina. And that group has been providing services at events for, gosh, I don't know, four or five years now maybe, and kind of really yeah, has been teaching and, and offering services. And then there's Safe Haven, which is another one that's in Austin, Christy Mokri and her team there. And uh, shout out to Whitebird, who's been doing this work for <laughs> quite some time as well. Um, Whitebird's a great organization to work with. Uh, Rangers Sanctuary Program, Green Dot Program at Burning Man. And then, yeah, if I if I remember some others, I know there's a couple others that I'm forgetting. I'll, I'll send them to you. We yeah, we'll them put them in, in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I I think it's be really valuable and for the listener now if you're if you're trying to find someone near you, is there any list of like on the Zendo Project website or something where someone can can just at a glance kind of see what's there or shall we create one for um, this so podcast? We, well, we are, yeah, we'll, we'll create one for the podcast. We do have a list that we, we don't have up on the website, but that when people ask us, hey, we're in Germany, that <laughs> um, we try to connect them with people. There's there's one in India called Tatva. They're doing mm. work in India. And right on, That's right really on. cool. Um, we've been in conversation with them and... Um, 
Rainbow Serpent has, I think, something mm-hmm. like that. The Nest, I think, is what they're... Or The Nest might be the women's safe space. I can't recall what the name of it is, but okay. Rainbow, Serpent Rainbow Serpent does mm-hmm. um, psychedelic harm reduction in Australia. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, we've always wanted to go... I've always wanted to go to seed the regional burn in, in Australia. So, gosh, there is so much that I want to talk to you about. I mean, I want to talk to you about ketamine-assisted therapy because I know that that's work that you've done and because I have my own interests in in the healing through that modality. I want to talk about what you think of the psychedelic renaissance and the threats to um, the integrity of the psychedelic renaissance. I want to talk about indigenous traditions and care for marginalized groups. And I have a litany of questions from members of the community. We're also an hour and 45 minutes in, which means that I think what I would like to do is respect your sovereignty and hold space for you to choose maybe from what I've just said or something that you feel you're, you really want to make sure comes out on this podcast and kind of let you have the space to take us into the direction for our, for our last little time here. Great. Ultimately, I see the Zendo Project as, as a community of care. And our tagline is creating a community of compassionate care. And I really think that we, you know, our intention is to, is to hold that as our, as the way that we navigate the, not just festivals, but the psychedelic world. And what I mean by that is that I think that the Zendo project teachings and that peer support teachings are really applicable in all different kinds of scenarios the mental health system. But if we just stick for a moment with the psychedelic community, I think that there are, as the psychedelic community grows and as, as there's this huge movement and momentum, it's really important to have models for ethical, responsible Mm -hmm. care. It's really easy to focus on the the ways in which things aren't being done right. And so I like to look for solutions. And Zenda Project is definitely not, it's one of the models, right? That I think uh, there's a lot of, there's models that are being created and that have long been created around how to responsibly um, interact with these substances. In the article that I wrote about our time in Envision, I actually have a full like history of psychedelic peer support. So I'll put that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But if you want, if you want a little bit more of the legacy from like Woodstock onto today, that's a beautiful story too, which we don't have time for. But you can check out that article if you want to read a little more about that. Yeah, yeah, and that's really important. Our roots are really important. You know, the Zendo Project didn't just like pop up out of nowhere. Like um, the wisdom and the knowledge and the teachings of our mentors and elders of many different traditions psychedelic therapy, underground therapy, things like holotropic breathwork, meditation, you know, people with uh, backgrounds in shamanic training. Yeah, it's really important to to say that this is this is a collaborative model. It's a collective collaborative model. And um back to what you were saying earlier about around the feminine, like I think that that's one thing that's been really I think is beautiful about this community is it's really a collaborative collective way of, you know, learning how to be human with other humans and navigate Mm. these challenging spaces. And there's, you know, in the, in the psychedelic community, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of changes happening. It can get really for, for listeners who are kind of first coming into this community and who are like, how do I navigate? Like there's all of these different things and I can go do this retreat and, you know, and over here and I can go to this therapist over here and there's this underground person, there's this coach and there's this life, there's this integration person. And like, I can, I can imagine coming into this and seeing it and just being like, what it like, where do I go? Where do I, where do I begin? Where do I start? And I think that organizations like the Zendo project that have a peer support model are a really good way to, to meet people and to create community Mm. and find the others. And then those others are connected. And the thing with people who are um, drawn to doing the Zendo project work and often drawn to, you know, who are drawn to doing service is that they're often going to have connections or networks or um, that are more in the, the values of integrity and ethics and, doing your own work, right? Like that's the big message, like this, (laughs) the message of, you know, if you want to become a psychedelic therapist, first ask yourself if you want to become a therapist. Um, You know, you were speaking to ego in the beginning and one of my favorite quotes from Jim Fadiman, and I'm going to say, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, you know, psychedelics can help you become aware that you are God. But if you don't also simultaneously recognize that everybody else is God, then that can cause a problem, right? So psychedelics, they have so much potential and so much benefit. And I think the role, a role that the Zendra Project holds is and organizations like it hold is that there are also risks and those risks aren't just difficult experiences. Those, those risks are how do we navigate this psychedelic Renaissance responsibly, right? Mm. With, with these conversations around capitalism and co-opting and, and appropriation and people coming in and doing work, you know, who are not experienced or don't have the background. And what I would, what I would offer is, to you know look for the organizations and look for the look for the individuals in the organizations who have been working in this field who have you know who have navigated their own work and done their own work and um and and that's the party he'll serve Uh right yeah exactly Yeah. yeah yeah and and i think that that can be applied to just so many different environments and it can be applied to recreational ceremonial i mean there's a lot of unsafe situations that can happen in ceremonial environments and so if uh and and same with therapeutic right and so i think that it's it's really important to as we as we explore the benefits and as we explore the the great potential of psychedelics that we also are aware and conscious of of how to do that in a responsible humble way and how to continue to grow ourselves and learn from these experiences and learn from our our own psychedelic experiences learn from supporting others in their psychedelic experiences and yeah ultimately to be to be of service to the the one way that I, that I've heard it, you know, that I really, one way that I really resonate with is like that you're being in service to something greater than yourself and that you're being in service. Some like people who work with ayahuasca or plant medicines, it's like you're being in service to the medicine, right? It's like you're, you're listening to the medicine and anyone who has worked for a long time with any medicine is like, 
I'm in service to this and I'm in service to humanity and to healing. And I think some of the, the dangers are that the relationship to the psychedelic and the relationship to of respect and reverence to the substances gets lost. And I think that that's what this work does is it really like pauses, like people who are having a challenging experience, it causes them to pause and go, Whoa, I have like people come to us and say, I have so much more respect for psychedelics. Mm, Right. And so I think that, uh, humbled at the feet of the, exactly. So just, just to continue on that, you know, on that journey of, of making sure that you're in right relationship with the substances and with yourself. Do, if you want to be a better guide, like do your own work. <laughs> so I have become aware of something in the past 10, 15 minutes that I've kind of known, but it hasn't been fully clear to me. And it is so clear to me now. The Zendo project is itself a threshold point for the psychedelic community. If you want to be a leader in the psychedelic community, if you want to start a company in the in the burgeoning psychedelic space, if you want to be a psychedelic therapist, Zendo is the place to start, really. You know, there is such a humility in being a sitter. It's not a guide, it's not a therapist, it's not it's it's just you know, it's it's a deep presence with another person. And frankly, going through the full arc of this conversation, it's not just that the Zendo serves the people who come in in these difficult psychedelic states. The Zendo is Zendoing the whole psychedelic community, right? Like that's that's what's happening here. As we go in this psychedelic renaissance, we as the psychedelic community need to be trip sat by the Zendo as its own community. Yeah. That's that's marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and uh, Yes, absolutely. So many people uh, who I've talked to who have volunteered or worked with the Zendo in various capacities have that experience where it's like, we created a community to care for each other. And, you know, I feel myself very supported by this community. And I uh, feel like it's such a privilege and such an honor to be able to support others in this community. And yeah, I think it's spot on what, what you just said. Because I've kind of always known that in a way, but it's the first time I've really been able to see it. Because I'm super scared about the co-opting of the psychedelic renaissance. And I'm bitter about it. I'm angry about new companies who are doing it wrong. And I'm afraid that that people who could otherwise have deeply profound experiences might be robbed of them by organizations that are trying to take the hallucinations out of psychedelics or whatever it is they're trying to do. Psychedelics are by their very nature subversive. And part of the medicine to our entire culture is the way that they may subvert the rapacious um, extractive capitalism that is killing our planet. And if those very extractive forces are able to take the narrative and 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 overwhelm the psychedelic community and be you know have ayahuasca as the new rose, I don't think they could properly defang these medicines. I think these medicines are stronger, but. Zendo holds a place as, as a steward in uh, as stewards in this moment of psychedelic renaissance because if you go to the Zendo project and you sit with people and you watch how it happens I think you'd be creating a different company 
if you wanted to create a company in the psychedelic space mm-hmm. than if you did not do that. Mm-hmm. And there's a different level of reverence. And to see that prophylactic quality of the Zendo project in the context of these potential, um, just the dangers that may befall our community in the coming years and as we move into legalization, which of course we should, you know, we should move into decriminalization and regulation in a wise fashion. It's just very interesting to see the Zendo project as a steward in that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and volunteering, for sure, being in the space, doing the work in the space, and coming to the trainings as well. Because I think that the trainings uh, have the framework that we only touched, you know, we briefly touched into today. But to be able to unpack that framework for a full eight hours uh, gives people a foundation of ethics and mm. responsible care. And um, we talk about self-care. We talk about ethical, how to be an ethical sitter. We talk about boundaries. We really explore scope of practice, um, maintaining within your scope of practice, not doing things beyond your scope of practice, meaning knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know and not doing what you don't know how to do, mm-hmm. right? So competence. That's been a big a w- thing in the wilderness first mm-hmm. responder training. Yeah. It's like you're trained to respond <laughs> and then pass people off to, you know, medical professionals. So, you know, you're not going to be healing the punctured lung. Yeah. You just, you don't, you yeah. don't have the, the, you can't drill the hole and get the fluid out. Yes, exactly. So, so I think that, you know, I, I, the volunteering, absolutely. And for the, because we, and, and volunteering for other peer support groups beyond the Zenda project. And for those who, because we get so many applicants and we can't accept absolutely everybody, the trainings are another good way to learn these, these skills that I do believe are transferable to people who are like, you know, who are coming, whether they're experienced or new to this this world, to be able, the, the psychedelic community, to be able to learn, you know, ethical practices and, and all of these things. I think it that's also, it can be really helpful for people to do, to do the training. And I also think that the peer support model, there's something about the peer support model that is really uh, breaking convention too and is subversive in its own way mm. because it says, it says, okay, we healing is possible through community. And duh, like <laughs> many cultures have known that for a long, long time. In fact, that's the place the, it works best. Exactly. The, the only reason we need therapy, I think, in Western society is because we're so cut off from our communities. We don't have that community, you know, mm. we don't have that model. We're not connected to our elders. Exactly, for exactly. Yeah. So peer support forms a community that is it's subversive it's subversive in saying uh, we can care for one another. We can care for one another and there are checks and balances. There are standards that people need to hold themselves to and are accountable to. And if they're not accountable to them, they're going to be seen by their community. They're going to be seen by their peers. And so that is not so possible in, say, one, you know, in, uh, say, a therapeutic environment sometimes or even sometimes in a ceremonial environment um, where you have one person who's in charge and there's like a power dynamic. And I'm not like that. There is absolutely... Oh my goodness. Like I, I, my work is not, I don't hold space for ayahuasca ceremonies. Like that is a whole different, you know, world. And it's, it's also, I kind of like to joke sometimes like the Zendo feels like this sort of 24 hour ayahuasca ceremony, but you never know what's walking through the door. It's always something different and everyone's always on something else. But 
what I'm trying to get to here is that these that this peer support model is a way of taking back our our power ultimately into our own hands and saying, you know, it's this whole, the concept of the inner healer is saying you are the one doing the work, right? All of these principles are saying you person who is having this experience, the healing is coming from you. It's not coming from me as this, as this outside person and really good therapy and really good shamanism and really good. Those, those places have that exact same across the board. Actually, they have that exact same, underlying ethos that the healing comes from within, right? It's not this external thing. And I think that that's where when you're talking about capitalism, that's like the opposite of it. It's like, oh, you're going to get all of your your healing or you're going to get all of your support from all of these external things. Just buy this thing, just take this drug, just do this thing. That's really simple fix and you're, everything's going to be fixed, right? And instead of, yeah, it comes from within. It's, mm. it's an internal process. And so I think the peer support model is, is a helpful model for that. Yeah. That's probably where we, where we land this, this journey we've gone on today. Yeah. This has been lovely. Yeah, it um, really has. Thank you for joining us for Life is a Festival. If you liked the show, you can support it by sharing it with your friends, following it on Spotify, or reviewing it on iTunes. If you'd like to get more involved, you can join our Facebook group, Life is a Festival, where we talk about the show and you can suggest new guests. If you really liked the show and maybe want a little bit more, visit my digital tip jar at patreon slash lifeisafestival.com. Whatever you do, I hope today's podcast helped you make your life just a little bit more like a festival. And I'll see you on the dance floor. How did the podcast go? <laughs> yeah, I feel... I just having been friends with you for some years now and not getting to see you very often. And it's just really good to reconnect in this way. It felt really relaxing and it's so good to have you in my home. Mm, yeah. It's really <laughs> nice to be here doing this too with the yeah, purple light too. Yeah. I've actually never done a podcast, I think in my home, except for like on my computer, but like never with a, a person in here. So yeah, it just feels really feels really magical and I just really appreciate how yeah how much support that the ways in which you've supported the Zenda project and me over the years and it's really touching to hear how this this project and this work has impacted you and I think that this is maybe our like fourth interview of some form and we, we did we did the the article mm -hmm. we did a video I think maybe third. Yeah. Do we do a, do we do another one? I mean, maybe we've done we've done trip sitting yeah. together, but yeah. I think in so terms of what's been publicly published, mm -hmm. there's an article, there's a video, and and now this back yeah. from the fast three hundred days. Yeah. So yeah, it feels like a really good. Um, it feels like an arc of Truly. an experience. When I did the Zendo project, was really the beginning of me in this role as a as a leader in the festival community. That article was actually the first thing, because I'd written some other things that had kind of gotten some attention, but that was the first article that I published where people were like, oh, okay, this person has a voice that mm -hmm. matters in this community. And not a lot of people had been writing about 
stuff like mm-hmm. trip sitting in 2015. That was right after um, Michael Pollan's trip treatment article came out prior to his book. And so it was still, you know, there, there are, you know, obviously there's Arrowhead and there's different places where people are writing about this, but in terms of publications that were very pro harm reduction, I'm very proud of the fact that Fest 300 was, we were always just, we pushed that hard. We were like, we are pro harm reduction. <laughs> it is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a couple pieces to that. One is, or yeah, one is that you you had the the experience. You went in and had the experience, and you did it in such a the the way that you you did that, and the way that you do this feels so safe. You mm, create such a you. safe container. Oh yes, that's um, what I'm going for. Yeah, because I'm, there's a lot of journalists who ask, "Hey, can I come volunteer in the Zendo and then write about my experience?" And I say, "No." I typically say no. And there's something about the way that I knew that you were holding it that made me feel safe. Probably because I'm not actually a journalist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm yes, more like just yes. a, community You're a community guy. <laughs> yes. So there's there's a lot of people who want to like talk about their experiences, and and that's beautiful. And so I, I think that there's there's a couple things. There's one is the way that you wrote about it um, was so much from your own heart and your own experience, and it was so humble and so, you know. Yeah, I just feel like the piece itself was really just so well written. And then I think that it also speaks to just the how pe- how hungry people are for this type of work and for this Truly, community. Yeah. And you know, I think that's why the Zendo project has become so so popular. It's just like it's it's so heartwarming to see it, it, it the people that are drawn to this work and to see people really want to engage with this work and, and, and want to be part of the community. And I mean, we've trained thousands of volunteers and we've helped over 6,000 people and just the, the impact of, you know, that this has had in, in people's lives and how that's kind of spread out and they share that with others. And I kind of feel like it's, yeah, it's just these little seeds that go out and so yeah this this podcast has felt really really sweet (sighs) (sighs) well thank you amen so good to see you so good to see you and we're gonna go hang out now so yeah let's go get some food beautiful